All right, uh, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, so open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3, but as soon as you turn to it, look at me, because we're not going to get to that for a little bit. I'm going to set it up tonight. Did anyone get the acorn this week? Or uh, let me say, everyone got it. Did anyone read it? No, no, this was last week's. Came on Thursday. Did anybody read it? Kind of? You don't get it. We'll have to talk to somebody about that. All right, well, there was an article in the Acorn, and it's called Up, Up, and Away, A Look at the Cost of Doing Out-of-Town Business for the City of Thousand Oaks. And Becca Whitnall, by authorization of the editor, uh, Kyle Jory, is doing a two-part series. This is part one of a two-part series. Talk of looming deficits, belt tightening, didn't stop the City of Thousand Oaks from spending $324,000 on travel, conferences and training for council members and city staff during 2015 calendar year, according to a review of city records. And it goes through the whole thing. Um, the city's top executive called in-person lobbying a necessary evil because uh, uh, our mayor went back to um, Washington. Mayor Joel Price, the council's most frequent flyer, with eight out-of-area trips in 2015 costing the city more than $12,500, said the cost of travel is money well spent. Uh, if you're not in their face, you're not in their minds, he said. With us traveling back and meeting with our representatives, they can't forget us. Uh, goes through the cost of taxpayer, $1,184 for flight, hotel. This was a trip that the city manager took to, uh, looks like England, um, for a conference where they paid his airfare, or no, we, they paid for his hotel and all that, but they, the city paid for his airfare. Um, talks about Scott Mick, Mitnick's salary, um, the good news is, it, I think it says here that I'm the one who spent the least amount of money on travel. They sent me to um, train at a city council training in Sacramento. I think I went twice, once to San Jose and once to Sacramento. Good training, very important. But nevertheless, that is something of great importance. Kyle Jory is exercising an episcopus, which is an overseer job, overseeing the representatives and the legislators of our community, right? And his job is to make sure that the representatives that have been elected do right by the citizens' funds, correct? Does that make sense? Okay. Let's put up the First Amendment. There we go. This is the First Amendment, okay? Congress shall make no law What does no law mean? No law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, Kyle Jory, or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Why would any legislators... Put that in their constitution. And what's the purpose of the First Amendment? Why did we the people, which is a preamble, we studied that the previous weeks, we the people in order to form a more perfect union, right? So who's in authority? We the people. And, and uh, we, we look at the uh, Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, Correct. So the First Amendment, the very First Amendment, is the freedom of religion, the freedom of the press, the freedom of speech, and the freedom of the people to assemble peaceably. For what purpose? For the redress of grievances. Now, if we are in authority, we the people, who do we grant temporary authority to? Representatives our representatives. So they put the First Amendment in to protect the people from their representatives. Right? So, I wrote a few things down. It's there to allow them to speak up and to seek a redress of grievances. So if you have an issue, where are you going to discuss that issue? In the press? Where else? Hmm? In the church, the pulpit. And you peaceably assemble for the purpose of what? 
redressing grievances. Against who? Those that we have given partial authority to on loan from we the people. When the law of God has been abrogated, they need to be able to speak up and express themselves. The people do. When it is a violation, the people have to be able to write, fully assemble, peaceably assemble, and the pulpits must be free, and the press must be free. I, I know that nobody in City Hall liked this article. Nobody did. I don't know that it was like completely in context in some respects, but I like that. I like it because the editor is doing a good job of holding the representatives accountable, which I happen to be one. And I'm not as burdened because I'm the lowest on the line when it comes to expenditures. But aren't you glad to know that information? Does it bother you in a city that's about to give you a half-cent sales tax? Stay with me. It'll make sense. The purpose of the First Amendment, it allows the citizens to advocate to throw the rascals out if the rascals have done something wrong, right? It allows them to publicly debate public measures which have to be thought through. Where do we learn about issues of governance? We learn it from the press. We learn it from the pulpit. We learn it as we gather. Why would the people make such a law to protect themselves from their representatives? A free press and a free pulpit keep the people informed. That's the point. You take away the free press, you take away the free pulpit, you lose the ability to address truth. Collective assembling. What is the purpose of collectively assembling? To stand against unjust laws. If we peacefully assemble, and and what can they do? They try to shut us down. To protect from a ruling class that presumes that they know better what the best interest of the people are instead of the people deciding for themselves. Oh, you... You're good people and you mean well, but you're just ordinary people and we know better how to rule you. It's, it's an oligarchy. Legislators want to remove, listen, legislators want to remove opposition. The first call I got from Jackie Irwin, not the first call, but a call I got from Jackie Irwin or a conversation that I had with her on two occasions, are you going to run again? Why would she ask me that? She's afraid. It's going to, it was a hard race. And as much as Donald Trump hated Cruz, the first thing he said is he was a tough competitor. Now, without competition, that's exactly what a legislator wants. They do not want to have any opposition. And so how do you remove opposition? You remove it by silencing the people. Silence the pulpit, silence the press. Cause them to... To, to need your handout. And then you can dictate what they can and can't say. So what, what's the first thing they did with the Johnson Amendment in 1954? They threatened to take away a tax-exempt status. So the pulpits are silent. The First Amendment is needed to protect ourselves from our representatives. If we don't, the fox will rule the hen house. That's not a good thing. That is why the church and the press must remain free. How can either institution do that properly meaning hold our representatives accountable without a foundation of truth. Now, what has happened with the press? They're no longer reporting the news. They commentate on the news, and they have an agenda. And what has happened? Truth has been removed from the equation. Because the church isn't doing its job and putting people that that value the truth and have an absolute, we lose that moral foundation in the press. Then the press becomes a tool for that. Campaign laws, they put those in so that we can't do with our money what we want to do. And what do campaign laws do? Who do they protect? If the legislators are making the campaign laws, who do they protect? Politicians, incumbents. Without a foundation, the press and the pulpit no longer advocate for the truth. Then they become a tool for power, no longer for people, but for the power. Then they advocate for censorship. Yes? This will all make sense. You're, you're looking at me going, this is too political. No, it's not. Pay attention because we're going to get to a key word in 1 Timothy 3 that will blow your mind. Fruits of our own labor provide freedom for the individual. And remember this, any religion, and think about this, any religion that requires its members to take over the polity, the public, and impose on all of its citizens 
that which they consider to be holy law, then that religion is in breach of the social contract and they become, in a sense, fascist. Even secularism can be a religion that imposes its beliefs and demands it to be law. They, they say that, that, that there is to be no God. That is a religion. And no longer do we have a public to debate that in and their censorship. Uh, I've printed this twice, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to this right here. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That First Amendment is the responsibility of the church and the press and the people to oversee our representatives. And if it is not protected, if it is not exercised, we, the people, are guilty. Do you know what the word ecclesia means? Church. What else does it mean? It's an, actually a word that goes be, before the church. Everything okay, Joe? That was scary. Yeah. Gathering together of individuals for community. Let's go further back. Let's go to Greece, ancient Greece. What was the ecclesia? It was the government. It was the assembling of the people for policy, public policy. Policy. So when we look at this, it is our responsibility to oversee, to oversee the ecclesia. Not just the church, but the assembling of the people. Why does the church assemble? Why do we gather? A fellowship, okay. We can do that at a Kiwanis club. Why does the church gather? That is important though. Worship, we can worship uh, at the Hall of Satan. We gather to study and know the truth and to proclaim the truth and to stand upon the truth and to lift up the name of Christ that all men would be drawn unto him. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We exercise the authority to present and debate and to present truth and to apply it. We're a gathering of people. And, and when we look at the ecclesia, the assembly, the church, the government, in both cases, do they need to operate on what we call natural law or fundamental truths? Yes or no? If they're going to be successful. And if the people don't have the ability to have the freedom to debate that and the press doesn't have the freedom to hold them accountable... If there is a sin nature in man, which there is, what is going to happen with the representatives? They don't want opposition and they will silence you. So what occurs when we don't exercise truth from here and there? They take over. And what do you lose? Freedom. In the, in the early church, I don't think I printed it. Let me see if I have it. Yeah, I didn't get it. In the early church, the Romans pointed out that Christians were a threat to the government. Why? Christians wouldn't, what's it? It was the truth. They wouldn't worship who? Caesar. That was a non-negotiable for them. And so that government came into conflict with the ecclesia, the assembly of the Christians. One government came against another. In the United States of America, we have civil law and ecclesiastical law. And whenever there's an ecclesiastical issue and it rises all the way to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court, for over 200 years, would just kick it out and say, that's a church issue, that's not a civil issue. They recognize the authority of the church because it's a place where truth is debated, where it's taught, where its citizens are educated so they can be overseers to hold people accountable to any law that would abrogate the law of God. 
And the ecclesia is just important here as it is over in City Hall. Do we understand that? And how do we hold City Hall accountable? By a free press and a free pulpit. And when you lose that, you have given up the opportunity to promote the gospel. And you're no longer exercising these inalienable rights that God has entrusted to you. Now, with that, I want to share with you a word. Episcopate. Episcopate. Now let's go to the text. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1. Paul says to Timothy in educating him about the church and their responsibility, he says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the, the position of a... Everyone say episcopate. Yours probably says bishop, right? Let's say episcopate again. Episcopate. Kind of sounds cool. Episcopate. Right? If a man desires a position of an episcopate, he desires what? A good... A good relaxing... Vacation? Work. You have to work at it. It's a good work. It's a good work. An episcopate then must be blameless. The husband of one wife. Temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior. Hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the episcopate? No, I'm sorry. How will he take care of the ecclesia? How will he take care of the ecclesia of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, meaning not in the church, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Why would, why would an episcopate of an ecclesia need to have a good testimony among people outside of the church? Credibility for what? Who cares? They're, they're out there. That's, we're, we're the church. We just do the gospel. Want to bring them in? But can't we do that quietly? I mean, why, why do we have the good, t- good testimony? Huh? We're representatives of Christ. How about this? We're members of the community. Right? Do we not shop in the same stores? Do we not frequent the same restaurants? Are we not under the same ecclesia at City Hall? Are we not all governed together? Do we not dwell in a community? Why would we need a good testimony? To affect them. To contend in the arena for truth. Now, let's go back to verse 1. This is a faithful saying if a man desires a position of an episcopate. Another term for episcopate is overseer. It means office holder. <laughs> Office holder. One in charge. It's an office of an elder. Hmm. So, a bishop, an episcopate, an office holder, a pastor, there's some requirements, yes? To oversee the ecclesia, the assembly, yes? Isn't this an interesting list? Wouldn't this be a wonderful list for any future Political candidate? And why isn't that the case? Because we don't care. We don't do politics. We don't care about that ecclesia. We care about this one. And this one is fruitless because it doesn't affect that one. We hold the truth. And all of these things, if applied to any human being, don't you think that would be a magnificent civil government? Let's go through the list. Blameless, husband of one wife, 
You never have to worry about him being bought off by some, you know, brazen hussy who's going to sell herself and then take pictures and then find himself in the front page, right? Hello? Blameless? Nobody can, nobody can put an accusation on them. It doesn't even stick. Temperate? The idea of temperate is just calm. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean this idea that they're never, they, they have a, I, I wrote it down here and I like it because I almost don't qualify. Here it is. Someone who's not given to extremes. They're reliable and trustworthy. You don't have to worry about wide swings of vision, mood, or action. I don't know if the staff would say I qualify. Sober-minded. Sober-minded means a person who is able to think clearly with clarity. They're not constantly joking. I don't know if I qualify for that one. It doesn't mean that someone doesn't have a sense of humor or that they're always solemn or, or somber, but they're balanced in their temperament. Um, good behavior. Uh, dignified. Um, orderly, perhaps dignified is the best sense of the term. And then you have hospitable. I look for this in anyone who wants to be in the ministry. This is one of the, the areas it lacks and it bothers me. Hospitable, the, the simple idea is that they open their home and they're generous. We, we had a minister once on staff that uh, he, he was, but his wife wasn't hospitable. They, they loved to receive, but they never gave. And, and it bothered me because the, the congregation went out of their way to bless them. And yet they were tighter than a tambourine. And the idea is that we have to set this standard of being generous and hospitable. Able to teach. I like this. Uh, didacticos. Didacticos. Where we get the uh, idea of didactic teaching. Jesse, you want to tell them what didactic teaching is? You got it or no? You, am I putting you on the spot? Intended to teach, particularly in having moral instruction as an ulterior motive. Uh, they say the didactive method is a teaching method that follows a consistent scientific approach or educational style to engage the student's mind. You, you, you have to be able to get people captivated when you're teaching. They, and and I, I love what Dr. Crilly used to say to me while she was still alive. She said, Rob, if nothing is learned, then nothing's been taught. If you don't go away remembering what was taught, then nothing was learned. If you, can't, if you can't educate someone else on what you just received and be able to recite it to them, you never got it. And that's the idea of being able to teach something that sticks in your mind. And so you use rhetoric. Um, um, uh, one of the rhetorics I like is um, synthesia. It's a type of rhetoric. I'll give you an example. And this is a turn of phrase that keeps it in your head so that when you leave, you have a gift that you're holding on to and you're ruminating over it and over it. Here it is. It's where you use two senses of the human body to describe something. She smelled like the Taj Mahal looks at midnight. So how does the Taj Mahal look at midnight? By moonlight. It's beautiful. She smelled beautiful. These are two senses, so you're going, wait a minute, and that, that causes you, then, then you have alliteration. Full fathom five, thy father lies. This was a Shakespeare term, where you use the Fs, and that sticks in your head, and you, you remember it. This is a didactic method of teaching. These are ways that you give people the opportunity to remember, and so that's what we do. Not given to wine. doesn't say uh, that they're not allowed to drink. It just means not addicted to wine or intoxicating drink. It doesn't prohibit drinking, but it clearly discourages it. So uh, this, is, this is one of those areas where you want to make sure they're not given to strong drink. You don't find them drunk. Not violent uh, means a brawler. just means that they don't fight. 
Uh, they 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 uh, they believe themselves to be invincible, and they're contentious. There's nothing worse than somebody who's just endlessly contentious. They just want to fight. They love to fight. It's up. No, it's down. It's left. No, it's right. The sun's up. No, it's not. The clouds are out. The sky's blue. No, it's kind of a light blue. Nobody's fun that way. And you know what's special about somebody who's not contentious, who's not a brawler? They know how to get along. They, they talk about, in America, an ideologue no longer will have the ability to be elected. They considered Ted Cruz to be an ideologue. I'm not necessarily sure that an ideologue can't be elected. I think an articulate ideologue can be elected. Somebody who's kind and doesn't stab their friends in the back and someone who has a good reputation with others and people speak well of them. Sadly, that wasn't the case with him. I I couldn't find a single person I know that knows him, and I know him, and I wouldn't say that he has a a mean temperament. He just doesn't seem pleasant at times. So, uh, So he's not quarrelsome, gentle. Oh, where were we? Not violent, not greedy for money. Uh, The idea is they're not covetous. They don't love money. They're not avarice or avaricious. They don't love money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money itself is an inanimate object. How do you love money? Well, look at at, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, right? Doesn't keep a record of wrong. And you go through all the list and, and everything that you have about love is what you feel about money. And, and this is that idea that we love money. And the word for love is agape, that we would give ourselves, our lives, for the sake of obtaining it. And that's what the scripture says, that, that they're not to be one who loves money in the sense of giving their lives in order to obtain it. They're gentle. They're gentle. Um, the... The kind of man who takes Jesus as his example. He's, he's not, a, uh, I guess, in a, in a sense, an action hero. He's just gentle. He has time for the little ones. Oftentimes you'll have preachers that just love to teach and they don't want to spend time with people. I confess there's times in my flesh I don't, I don't have it. And unless there's a supernatural infusion, I, I struggle. And there are times after two Sunday services, I just have to go home. Michelle goes, let's go out to lunch. I don't go anywhere but home. I got to put the batteries back in from all the suction cups. And it's, it, there's just that part of it. But it's the Lord that, that fills your battery and, and you have that. Um, this idea of being gentle. Uh, a gentle place is helping someone in a time of struggle. And, and this is an area where God has worked on my heart in, in a lot, lot of ways. Hospital visits are really, really hard for me. They're just hard. I walk in, I go through all kinds of spiritual battle and struggle, and I walk in, and the minute I'm there, the the Holy Spirit just comes over me, and I I, I sense His peace, and I know every time I've stepped in, there's deep ministry that takes place. When someone's dying, God, I've I've sensed God use me so many times, and I know it's not me because the last place I want to be is there. And this is that idea that God provides this gentle nature and something that He has to do. Not covetous, uh, this is more encompassing than merely greedy for money. Uh, I like this definition. The covetous man is never satisfied with anything, always demanding something more or different. A man who is constantly dissatisfied is not fit for leadership among God's people. It's never good enough. Some of you had parents like that. It's just never good enough. And to have a boss like that or an overseer, it, it's never pleasant. Somebody who's cracking the whip endlessly is never pleasant. One who rules his own house well. Uh, the idea of ruling his own house well so that there shall be no room for blame. Um, my pastor, Don McClure, uh, his oldest son, Marcus, uh, got arrested. Uh, he had a drug problem. And um, he, he was an Ishmael. He was a donkey of a man. He was, he was contentious with everyone. And Don finally said, you got you to get out of the house. You got to go. He said, I am not going to, I'm not going to enable your lifestyle. I'm not going to provide a roof over your head while you're outside the will of God. It's not going to happen. And he moved out. 
And Don immediately went to his board and he said, I need to step down. And they said, why? He said, I don't rule my own house well. My son, I've kicked him out. He's no longer living under my home. And I have to step down. I went through this struggle. I wondered if I needed to step down. Had it not been for Don and his phone call, it would have settled my heart. I mean, it settled my heart, I should say. Because the idea of ruling his own house well means that he applies those principles that are necessary. Marcus did what Marcus did. And Don applied the rules and did them well. And he said, this is always a home to come back to, but you've got to go out and sow your oats and find it. But just like I would do this with anyone in the church, I'm doing it in my home. And he ruled his house well. And he held his son accountable. And the elder said, look, you can be the governor of a state and rule well, and there will still be people that commit murder in your state. That doesn't mean you have to step down as the governor. Right? You rule well. You hold them accountable. You put them on death row. And so this is the picture of ruling his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. When Don told Marcus to leave, Marcus left. Um, I, I, I used to say, and I, I got this from Howard Hendricks, and it was true of my dad. My dad was very patriotic. He'd lay down stripes and I'd see stars. And I had a deep respect for my father. And I still do to this day. And even though his mind's gone, I, I, in sitting in his presence, he's still my father. And I know that as I sit with him, he shares with me things and he still has even to this day, not having any mind. And the Lord's used him to minister to me. And, and he has to rule his own house well. Um, this is from Ray Steadman. The godly leader demonstrates his leadership ability first in his own home. Paul recognized that it is in the home where our Christianity is first demonstrated. It is true that a child may rebel from even a good home, but it is rebellion because of the parents or in spite of their job as parents. This is the question that must be asked. And then it goes on to say that this, this episcope cannot be a novice. Um, you don't want to give new converts leadership too quickly. A novice means literally newly planted. And you have to be careful with that. Um, the, the minute that somebody um, sees how to move up in the ecclesia or the assembly, they have all kinds of ideas of where they want to be and how they want to do it. I remember the first time I had the privilege to teach from the pulpit. Uh, it was a Wednesday night. And I, I remember, actually, the first time I ever had the privilege to teach was, was Super Bowl Sunday at the Armenian church. And I had listened to Roger Manassian preach. I listened to Calvin Segarian preach. I listened to their messages, and I think, eh, they don't get it, they don't get it. And then it was my turn to preach. And I opened up, I had nothing. So I went and took a, a Walter Martin message that I thought was really cool, and I memorized the entire message. I listened to it, 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 memorized it verbatim. And I stepped up and I gave a Dr. Walter Martin message. And everybody thought it was amazing. And and I thought, if I had to do that every Sunday, I'd shoot myself. And I realized how overwhelmingly difficult it was and, and what was entailed in all of it. And to know the Word of God and to find those scriptures, because there's more... There's more to ministry than just teaching. Anyone thinks, well, I've, I've, I understand TULIP and I understand Calvinism and I understand the Reformed theology and, and, I, and, and all of a sudden you get these concepts and all of a sudden you're the person that can teach the world. And you know how to tell a joke and you're comfortable in front of people. But there's so much more to the ministry than just teaching. And a novice becomes puffed up. And I remember when I got the Wednesday night with Don and then I got a Sunday night with Don and then I got a Sunday morning. And that Sunday morning, it was hard for me to go back to the youth ministry and be with those kids because I had convinced myself I'm going to be the next biggest thing in the Calvary movement. And God has a way of humility before honor. And he humbles you and he breaks you. And the minute that you get behind the, the wooden structure, you realize how overwhelming and daunting it is and how exhausting it is because it's far more than just teaching. And, and, and then when you're responsible and you're the overseer and these things all rest on you, if you're not called and God hasn't called you to that, every problem you have, you now have two problems. 
The first problem is a problem at hand. The second problem is the fact that you're not supposed to be there because you forced yourself to be there. Graduating from seminary doesn't make you a minister. Going to Bible college doesn't make you a minister. It just doesn't. You have to be called to do that. And to be called, you have to look at this list. He desires a good work. It's a good thing, but it's good work. And so to make sure it's good work, you have to be blameless, husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine. Joe, are you okay? Not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not antsy like Joe, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man doesn't know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So all these things are necessary to be able to be an overseer of a flock. And so we come to this place tonight where if you're puffed up with pride, you fall into the same condemnation as the devil. What was the devil's condemnation? Pride. But what was it? I will be like God. The position now becomes the passion as opposed to the Lord. And what happens to politicians? They start out with really good intentions, don't they? And then they start to see people, you know, interns coming up to, here you are, Senator, uh, Congressman. Uh, here you go, sir. Here. I was sitting with all the pastors and we were looking at National Day of Prayer and we were thinking, well, the, the city requires that the music has to face towards the city hall, but we were looking at the natural lay of the land for the empathy and we wanted to face out. And, and, I, and they said, they go, it'd be really cool because we have the outlets here. It'd be neat if we could do that. And I said, well, and I made a call. Drew Powers, assistant manager of the city. Next thing I know, his assistant's down there. Jeff's down there. He's a special events coordinator. Yes, councilman. (laughs) And I'm looking at all the other pastors going, that's right. (laughs) We're going to face out now because that's just how it rolls. And what, what happens to that person who's a novice and starts to think it's them? You're in a lot of trouble and so is the city. And now it's all about you. And that was the pride of the devil. And so what happens is you lose your testimony among those who are on the outside and you fall into reproach and that's the snare of the devil. The way he got it, he's going to get you. So it brings us right back to that one word, episcopate. Overseer. Episcopate of what? The ecclesia. What's the ecclesia? The assembly. And what's the point of having an episcopate over an ecclesia, an overseer over an assembly. It's to protect them from those who would do them ill. Who are they? Those that have the power. It was Winston Churchill that said, in Europe, it used to be a fight for power. In America, it was always a fight for the truth. And now we've abandoned the truth and we fight for the Supreme Court because that's where the power is. We legislate from the judicial system, which was never intended. Because the legislature, the ecclesia, the laws that are being established and protected by the First Amendment of the press holding them accountable and the pulpit holding them accountable is no longer there. And our pastors don't understand what it means to have a didactic method where your whole purpose is having moral instruction as your ulterior motive. And now the people are rudderless and they're without a shepherd. And we lose every vestige of freedom because the pulpits are silent. The two go hand in hand. This is not an exercise in futility. That gift of the First Amendment is to protect us from wolves. And what have I always said? Every sheep is a potential wolf. And every wolf is a potential sheep. It's amazing. We we all morph. (laughs) And what causes us to morph? Pride. Selfishness. I want, I, I will be like the most high. It's devastating in a church and it's devastating in a council 
And it's devastating in an assembly. And it's devastating in a legislature. And how did they get there? Nobody protected the sheep. Nobody fought for the protection of this amendment that was given to protect us from the wolves. And now the fox reigns in the hen house. And everything is taken. Everything's taken. Freedom is having choices. And every day we're having less and less choices. It used to be that one person worked, he had time at home. Now we have two people working. We make less. We're in debt. We don't create wealth. We're dependent. Our government's large. They keep reelecting themselves. They tell you one thing, they do something else. We don't examine them based on these, regula- these rules. We don't hold them accountable. We don't look at them as an episcopate overseeing an ecclesia and hold them to this. Why? Now, we can't really do it federally because the right of the people to, to, to assemble, peacefully assemble, the purpose of that, we peacefully assemble to petition the government for redress of grievances. And now what do they do? They shout you down. And what happens when people invade your freedom of speech by shouting you down and shutting down your peaceful assembly? Does the government come in and protect you? No. No. And how do we lose these? Because we don't desire that good work. It's a good work. Now, I don't know if we can fix federal or state, but we can certainly do locally. And I'll tell you what, Kyle, I think he's Jewish. I, I, I'm, I, he's been to church here a couple times. I don't really actually know his faith. I think he might be Jewish by birth. But he's doing a good job as an overseer of the community, holding the legislators accountable. But what happens when the government now has the authority to write their own checks and increase their own? It's gone. This is why as an episcopate over this church, if I start doing that, remove me. Why can't we do that with our government? Because we haven't placed faithful episcopates to oversee the ecclesia. And our job as a church and as the press and as the people with the freedom of speech is to contend in the arena for truth, to hold men and women accountable, to protect us from selfishness and those who would abrogate the law of God. Any questions? Tax exempt status? Some do. Um, for a long time, every year, I'd, I would endorse candidates from the pulpit. I would do everything that they said was a violation of the IRS code, and I would send in the DV or the CD to the IRS. I say, come get me. And they know they can't. And half of the churches in America aren't even 501c3s. We are an organism. If you shut this church down based on the, the Johnson Amendment, we could open up the next day and call ourselves God Speak One. And then they shut us down, we could be God Speak Two. They can't, whenever people gather, we're the ecclesia. We're, we're the called out ones. We're the assembly of truth. We, we strive to infuse our community with these truths. They can shut us down, but we have the responsibility. If no one tells them, how will they know? In every vestige, is he Lord of all? So the answer is no church has been indicted in America that I know of for a violation of the Johnson Amendment. However, every year I receive a letter from Barry Lynn, Citizens United for the Separation of Church and State, to threaten me and to tell me to be quiet. It's election year. Don't pass out 
uh, voter guides. You don't have the right to, to, to do anything political from your pulpit. I'm sorry, the First Amendment says I do. Well, they've reversed it, and they say it's the Establishment Clause, and it's to keep the church out of the state, not the state out of the church. They've reversed it, and we haven't done anything. We, we have to contend for this. Any other questions? Yeah, Chuck? Yeah, what's happened in America is pietism, where, where we see the, the separation between uh, evangelism and the gospel and active in the community. And we don't do that. Politics is dirty, right? Aren't we all kind of sick of politics? Anyone? I can tell you anyone who's, who's 30 years of age and under is totally disillusioned with politics. But that's, that's for two reasons. One is they've been lied to, and two, they haven't been taught. And now being taught, they, they're responsible. Any other questions? I'm sorry? Yeah, I mean, um, um, uh, w- name one candidate that you voted for that did what you asked him to do. <laughs> well, that's because I'm here every week and you can fire me, so... <laughs> It's an interesting, it's an, and, and let me say this, the further away the government, the less they're concerned with you. Local government, all government is local. The, the strongest government is local. We have this ability to, to pray for the peace of the city, for in its peace we will have peace. And this is what God does in and through us. And this is, this is the episcopate working in the ecclesia, in the assembly. And, and, and you, you know, we, we ruled on this thing for um, Bridgegate, I think it is. And the man had property, and he, before it was 50-something homes, and there was a whole list of areas, and he owned this, and it went into another thing, and they lost that, and went down to nine homes. And then he wanted to build three houses on his property, and they had, well, these endangered plants are here and all these other things. And, and some people in the city were saying, he should just give the land over, and nobody should be allowed to build there. And the, the difference between an environmentalist and a developer is that the environmentalist already has their home. Because all the people that were contending for the build-out had their houses on the same land where these endangered species were. Now, nobody was in favor of ruining these endangered species, and he had gone out of his way, and they were saying, well, can't you just do two homes or two lots and do... Three homes on two lots. And that's, that's a violation of the Fifth Amendment where we make his property useless and then we take it from him. He has no ability to get any remuneration for his investment and then the city can take it under Costco and other things. And, and that's, I understand that the ecclesia, the assembly, the people, the, the, poli, the, the polity, the, the, the populace, I know we want to protect endangered species and trees and open space. And as a community, we stand by that. But there are certain principles where you get to and you say, that would be a violation of the Fifth Amendment. And I knew I didn't get any votes when I voted in his favor. I knew every one of those people that had houses in that area, I lost all their votes. And if I don't get reelected, I don't get reelected. But that was the right thing to do. It was his property. He owned it. And it had already been zoned for building. And he had every right to build on it. So these are things that we just have to be mindful of. And you have to study to show yourself approved. You have to learn these things. And we're not educated in those regards. Nobody even knows what the amendments are. We don't even know what our rights are. So any other questions? The word episcopate, that word episcopate. Yeah. The assembly. And there's different forms of government. Some people look at an overseer as that you have a teaching pastor, a, a, a teaching elder and a ruling elder. Some see them as both. I, I look at a ruling elder and a teaching elder. One is a bishop. We're going to be seeing in a little bit an overseer, which is a deacon. And we're going to go through that idea of, of an elder in a church. That's going to be our a study next week. We have 15 of those in our church. Uh, can women be elders? They can be deacons, but can they be elders? We'll see next week. You'll see all that. We'll cover it. Any other questions?
Every day. Have you? Have you? Will you join me? Okay. Amen. You did. Good. I remember. All right. Well, uh, seven minutes early. I don't have anything else to say. Okay. No, I'm just messing with you. Yep. Do we have any do we have any students in here going to school right now? I'm sorry? You're going you're going to school? Um anyone else going to school? Over here? Darby? Okay. Uh what's the what what class are you taking? Okay, which one are you doing the best in? History. What are you getting? An A? Have you taken history? Oh, what? Okay, it won't work. I need another student. Okay, Tom, you're in history. You're getting an F. Again? (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, you'll get out of the seventh grade. So here's what we're going to do. Why is Tom getting an F? He didn't, he didn't show up. I mean, you get an F. I mean, you can't even fog a glass. Come on. Why is Darby getting an A? Okay, but you know what? Darby, I'm burdened by him getting an F, so I'm going to give you a C so that you can have a D plus. Thank you, Bernie. Yeah. <laughs> now, what does Darby say? That's not fair. And what does Tom say? I didn't do anything. I got a D plus. What happens? The scripture says, if a man doesn't work, what? He doesn't eat. Now we're look out for the widow and the orphan, right? But who's to look out for the widow and the orphan? The church. Now, if the church does social welfare or cares, every dollar the church spends... 22 cents goes to overhead, right? And 78 cents goes to the needy. When the government does welfare, reverse it. 25 cents goes to the needy and 75 cents goes to overhead. So you tell me that you believe in social justice and you want to help the poor. I'll have a que- I just have a simple question for you. Then why would you be so cruel as to run social welfare through a system that would cheat the poor. You know why? Because the beautiful thing about a church helping is that I'm not going to give you a dime unless I know what you're dealing with. It's one thing to give somebody a dollar at the corner and we don't know where that goes. But if Tom's struggling, I'm going to walk with him because I'm accountable as an episcopate to this congregation for every dime I spend in the life of someone else. And I'm going to come alongside them. The church is going to come alongside them, and we're going to help them. We're a family. The government doesn't do that. You've heard the first party, second party, third party purchase. First party purchase, I'm going to... uh, Grant's going to buy a watch. This is a first party purchase. He's going to buy a watch for himself with his own money. So he's going to look for two things, price and quality. Price and quality. He wants the best quality at the best price. It's your money. I mean, you really want, you want as many of the gadgets, but you can't afford them. So you're going to really shop it to get as many of the, the items that you want on that watch with the amount of money you have. So he's going to look for price and quality. Very important. Okay, second party purchase. Grant's going to buy a watch for himself with my money. Price is irrelevant. Quality is of greatest importance. He's going to get all the bells and whistles and he's going to ship it overnight and he's going to make sure it's gold with diamonds on it. He's going to get things he didn't even want to have before. That's a second party purchase. A third party purchase is, this is even harder to explain, third party purchase is, 
you buy something for someone else with somebody else's money. Um, okay. I love the office illustration that Bob McCune uses. So you're the boss of a company and everyone who's late has to put $5 in the kitty every time they're late. And at the end of the month, you pick the employee of the month, the one who's worked the hardest, and you take the money in the kitty and you buy them a gift. Well, it's the end of the month. The boss wasn't realizing, and he knows it's the employee meeting, and he's really overwhelmed. So he turns to his secretary who's eating her sandwich. She's only got 15 minutes for lunch, and she says, you know, Tom won employee of the month. Go buy something for him. Well, first of all, she hates Tom, doesn't want anything to do with Tom, and her lunch period's being invaded, and she's really irritated. So she puts her sandwich down. She's frustrated. She takes the money, $250, and she goes out the door, finds the first store she can, which is a stuffed animal store. She sees a six-foot pink bunny rabbit for $249.99, throws the money down, way overpriced. The guy just suckers her. She doesn't care. It's not her money. She just wants to get back to her sandwich, walks it in, stuffs it in the closet of the employee break room, sits down, finishes her sandwich, and can't wait for the laughter on, on everyone's face as Tom is going to be humiliated. And we have the employee of the month, and what did we get for Tom? She opens it up, gives every last, gets a good laugh. Tom walks home with something he doesn't need or want. By definition, Every purchase the government makes is a third-party purchase. That's why it's waste and fraud. Nobody cares. That's why the poor... It's not social justice. It's the absence of an episcopate overseeing an ecclesia and caring about the welfare of the people and doing what is right. And it's, it's lazy and easy and just let someone else do it. And it was Benjamin Franklin who said any man who gives up his liberty for the sake of security deserves neither. Let someone else do it. And that's the laziness of the church. We don't want to engage. But we must for the sake of the people. And so you have an episcopate who's pushing you. And you're the ecclesia. And as the ecclesia, in a sense, you're the episcopate to watch over and oversee by that First Amendment those that you've given authority and if you don't hold them accountable and you don't know who they are, you give up your freedom for the sake of false security and you get neither. You're just a slave and you have no freedom. The greater the, greater the choices, the greater the freedom. Right? Last one. I can do it in 20 seconds. This is your paycheck. You get $100 in your paycheck right? Two people can take your paycheck from you, a robber and the government. And you go out and, and freedom is having choices. A hundred bucks in your paycheck, you can go to a restaurant and buy anything on the menu because you have choices because you have that freedom. A hundred bucks, you can buy anything on the menu. But the government comes along and takes 25% of your paycheck. So you have 25% less choices, 25% less freedom. Then they take 50% of your paycheck. Now we have 13.5% income tax here in California. Matter of fact, the two football players in the Super Bowl had to pay to play here in California because they couldn't afford it. And then they tax you even more because we have to pay so that Darby gets a C so he can have a D plus. And we have people that really, and okay, and you walk home with 25% of the $100 you made. Less choices, less freedom. And if they take it all, you're a slave. And the difference in the scripture between a slave and a laborer, a slave was under the condition of the owner. A laborer was a contractor that created wealth. These are all biblical principles that we have to apply if we're going to survive. Kevin, I used you as an example. You're, you're not a slave. You're a laborer. You have your own business. You create wealth. You punch your own time clock. You're accountable for your own business. And you create that wealth. And then you invest it in the community and you train others and you do these things. That's what we're called to do. So it's 8.32. I'd go in all night. And then and there's no more questions. So Lord, help everyone to sort out my rambling. And uh, I pray, Lord, that I was able to teach tonight so I won't be kicked out. And God, I thank you for the patience of the congregation. And Lord, we're grateful that you've given us this design of what Episcopate is to be and how we're to oversee the ecclesia, the assembly. We're overseers. And that First Amendment, Lord, we're the ones who are called to protect the sheep from the wolves. And Lord, we're grateful for a country that's given us
that barrier and that protection. And Lord, may we not watch it disappear in our lifetime. Help us, God, to apply it here locally if we can't do it statewide or federally. Help us to protect this community, we pray, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.